Well, beloved, if you would turn in your Bibles to John chapter 16, we had a little touch of this in the morning, a little peek at it, but we're going to read and focus on a little different section. John 16, we'll, reading, we'll be reading from verses 5 through 11, 5 through 11. And of course, Jesus is talking to his disciples about um, someone who's coming, right? The Holy Spirit who is coming. So John 16, verses 5 through 11, page 1538. We read there, and I'll just leave the word but out, now I am going to ask him who sent me. None of you asks, ask me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment, about sin because people do not believe in me, about righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. A beloved in Christ, five-year-old Johnny had to stay home from church with his mom on Palm Sunday because he was sick. And after church, his dad and big sister, they came home carrying some of the palm branches. It was Palm Sunday. Well, little Johnny saw them and asked, well, what were those for? And his big sister boasted, as big sisters do, well, it was Palm Sunday, and don't you know, People hold palm branches over Jesus' head as he walks by. Well, sick little Johnny took one of the palm branches in his hand and was so dejected. Wouldn't you know it? He sadly complained. The one Sunday I don't get to go to church and he shows up. Johnny, of course, wanted to see Jesus in the flesh. A lot of us want to see Jesus in the flesh once in a while. People are seeing him, if you recall from a few years back, seeing him all over the place on grilled cheeses. Remember that? Sold on eBay. That's how badly some people wish they could see Jesus. Well, in this passage, we read a passage that is not about Palm Sunday, which was uh, 56 days ago, incidentally. Rather, it's a passage in which Jesus, shortly before his death, before his death and resurrection, is giving hints dropping hints to his disciples about Pentecost. Pentecost Sunday is the day in which the church, in the church year, that, that always comes 50, penta, 50 days after the Sabbath of the Passover. The Sabbath of the Passover is also the Saturday when Jesus was in the grave. And of course, what Jesus did on either side of that Sabbath day, on Friday, his death on the cross, and on Sunday, his resurrection, what he did gave new meaning to the Jewish Passover for Christians. In the Passover, the Jewish people celebrate the final step of freedom from Egyptian slavery back in Moses' time, way back in his time. The Lord destroyed the firstborns of Egypt 
but passed over, remember, the homes of the Israelites who splashed their door frames with the blood of the lamb. And so the Jews have their Passover celebration. But because of what Jesus did to our sins with his blood, we Christians too, we get passed over, right? We are not destroyed because of our sins, because they are forgiven at the cross. So now in the church, we say that Pentecost, a Jewish celebration, now has new meaning. And so we say it comes 50 days after Easter or Resurrection Day instead of after the Passover. But you simply count the resurrection as one of the days. Simple, right? You start with resurrection as day one, Easter Sunday, and you count to 50, and you end up at Pentecost Sunday, today. Very simple. Now, you have to leave out some Sabbath days, and kind of we do the Jewish thing there. It's a little bit complicated, but it makes sense, right? 50 days from, um, Pent from Easter is Pentecost. Up until the time of Jesus, Pentecost, though, had always been about giving thanks for the harvest, right? The Feast of Weeks. Another of the Jewish celebrations. The Jews bring their first fruits of the harvest as an offering to God with the expectation that God would continue to bless them with the rest of the harvest. Of course, again, Jesus changes all that when he gives new meaning to Pentecost. New, uh, or now, Pentecost for Christians is not so much about uh, a celebration of the wheat harvest, it's a celebration of the soul harvest, right? Of people coming to believe. Because what happened on Pentecost? Well, the Holy Spirit is poured out on people and literally thousands of ordinary people start believing in Jesus, start becoming the church, the body of Christ, 50 days after the resurrection. They start becoming Christians because the Holy Spirit is reaping a harvest of souls for God. In a sense, Pentecost, then we say, is the birthday of the church. And so we go back for a second to little Johnny, who wishes so very much that he could see Jesus. And I think we want that too sometimes. We want to see Jesus. Well, that's how the disciples felt too in the passage we read. They are already starting to grieve because they hear that Jesus telling them that, that he will be going away. And they don't know where he's going yet. They're just trying to deal with the fact that he's going away. And they're sad about that. They, don't, they, don't think that, they didn't think that he would ever leave them. He's their leader. They want Jesus around them, just like little Johnny does, just like we do. But then Jesus tells them about what's going to happen in a short while. When he leaves, and remember, he's not gone yet. His death and resurrection, his appearances over a period of 40 days have yet to happen. And then he needs to ascend into heaven, and at the end of those 40 days, and then 10 more days have to go by here before we finally get to Pentecost. When he leaves, then stuff is really going to happen, right around the time of the Pentecost celebration. That's what Jesus is telling his disciples about here, about what's going to happen at Pentecost. They don't know it's going to coincide with Pentecost yet, but we know that from Acts chapter 1. And Jesus tells them in the middle of their grief this, this little nugget of information. Wonderful, hopeful revelation of truth to them. Jesus says, it is for your good. It's for your good that I'm going away. Because unless I go away, 
the advocate or the counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And so we say to sick little Johnny, Johnny, Jesus, in a mysterious way, Jesus is there. He's there every Sunday. In fact, Jesus is living in each and every one of the people who believe in Jesus as their Savior. But it's not Jesus as the disciples knew him in bodily form, of course. It's the counselor, the friend, the, the helper, the advocate. That is the spirit of truth, Christ's Holy Spirit. Third person of the Trinity who's able to be living in every single person on the face of the earth who believes in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Jesus, in his body, before or after the resurrection, cannot live in every single believer. But the Holy Spirit, who is also God, the Holy Spirit can. And that's what we tell sick little Johnny, because that's the truth Jesus tells us in his word. And so we, too, are told the good news by Jesus Christ, that we have a counselor, a friend, a helper, an advocate who lives in us, those who believe. We can't see him like the disciples could see him, but Jesus has told us he is here. He is here in this place, in each believer here. We maybe would sing a song, like we know the song, right? Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. He truly is because his Holy Spirit is here in and among us. Now remember how he said that Pentecost gained a new meaning when the Holy Spirit was poured out. Pentecost still celebrates a harvest. It's a soul harvest. It's not a wheat harvest, a soul harvest, because when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the people, thousands of people were saved, believed in Jesus as the Spirit came to live in their souls and their hearts. And that's what the Spirit does today too. He's living in our hearts. He's the reason we're all here today, to worship Jesus. You wouldn't come here. You wouldn't come here if the Holy Spirit wasn't living inside you. You'd have no reason to come here. You wouldn't recognize Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life unless the Holy Spirit opened up your eyes to see and believe in Jesus Christ's death and resurrection and in Christ's lordship. That's happened to you. He lives in you. But Jesus wants the disciples to understand a little more about this advocate, what we know to be the Holy Spirit poured out. Not just that he's coming, but what he's going to be doing. In a few places, Jesus lets the disciples hear what the Spirit does. This is one of them. And this time, Jesus explains it by saying that the Spirit is going to convict the world or prove the world to be wrong, as we read, to be in the wrong. Now, is that you? Are you the world? Am I the world? No. It was us. It's not anymore. We are no longer considered to be the world, because the Holy Spirit lives in us. So right away, you get the idea that this passage, for a little while, is going to be telling us about what the Holy Spirit is going to be doing for those who aren't like us. That is, Jesus is telling believers, like his disciples, like us, what it is that the Holy Spirit's going to be doing for unbelievers, the world. You get the idea, yet, that the big part of the Holy Spirit's job is to be the main missionary for Jesus Christ. I hope you do. 
I mean, we like that name advocate and counselor because that name for the Holy Spirit means that the Spirit is going to guide us and give us wisdom on how to live our lives and counsel us as believers, be an advocate on our behalf, a friend. But Jesus doesn't dwell on that here, does he? He jumps right into mission work, right into evangelism, right into winning the world for Christ. That's what he wants his disciples to hear. That's what he wants us to hear, that a big part of the Spirit's work isn't going to be about us at all. It's going to be about unbelievers because a harvest of souls needs to happen. A world needs to be proved to be in the wrong or convicted or convinced another way of saying it. Why does he tell the disciples and us? Why do you think? Because we happen to be the perfect mouthpieces, the perfect hands, the perfect feet for the Holy Spirit. Not that we're perfect, but the Holy Spirit is perfect. And this passage seems to be saying, watch what happens when the perfect Holy Spirit speaks through believers in Jesus Christ, especially when they're on board with the Harvest of Souls program of convicting, convincing, or proving the world to be in the wrong. So what does Jesus say? When the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world or prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Another way of saying that is that he will expose like a prosecuting attorney, he will expose that the world is wrong when it comes to sin, righteousness, and judgment. Those three things, wrong about sin, wrong about righteousness, wrong about judgment. And then Jesus explains those three things. First, Jesus tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit will convict the world, prove the world wrong in regard to sin. They're proved wrong because people do not believe in Jesus. That's the foundational sin of the world, isn't it? The sin of not believing in Jesus. If they believed in Jesus, they would realize their sin. They'd turn to him for forgiveness, but they don't. They don't believe, and so they stand condemned. They are heading to a place of eternal punishment called hell. One day they will enter hell forever and ever. The world is in a position where they not only don't believe, but they don't even realize the trouble they are in by not believing. They don't know their need for their Savior, Jesus. But what does the Holy Spirit do? He works in the hearts of those who do not believe and convicts their hearts about the sin in their lives, especially the sin of unbelief. Somehow proves to them They've been wrong all along. He proves them wrong and mysteriously causes them to recognize their desperate need for a Savior and mysteriously causes them to turn to Jesus and believe in him. And what happens? They are no longer the world. The world was proved wrong for them and now they've become like us. Proved wrong regarding sin, they turn to Jesus. This is the Holy Spirit's work for the world. It's what happened to me. It's what happened to you. 
It's what happens every time someone comes to believe. They recognize the wrongness of the sin of not knowing Jesus, the wrongness of that sin and all the others, and they put their faith in Jesus Christ for his forgiveness, one at the cross. Beloved, this is the work of the Holy Spirit, convicting, proving the world wrong in regard to sin to bring in a harvest of souls. Now listen, there's a reason we are told this by Jesus. It's because the Holy Spirit is relying on you and me to hop over the fence and tell it to our neighbor of the world who doesn't believe. Second, Jesus continues and says that the Holy Spirit also will convict the world, will prove the world wrong in regard to righteousness. Because I, Jesus, am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. But now why does the world need to be proved wrong in regards to righteousness? And why does Jesus say here that he's going to the Father? What does that have to do with righteousness? Isn't righteousness a good thing? Isn't, even, isn't it even a good thing when unbelievers do righteous acts well, sure, righteousness is a good thing. This one needs some more explanation. Back in Jesus' time, Jesus was notorious, remember, for condemning the so-called righteousness of certain big-shot leaders like the Pharisees. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were leaders of the Jews who lived their lives as if their righteous deeds were somehow securing a soft spot in God's heart. As we might say it today, they lived their lives as if their righteous acts were the things that were going to get them into heaven. If I can do enough good things to outweigh the bad things, I'll get into heaven. We call that works righteousness. I can get myself into God's good graces by doing enough things right, doing righteousness. The Pharisees were notorious for this kind of living and this kind of teaching. And so when Jesus came, when he hung around with Pharisees, he would basically tell them every chance he got that their righteous 2 plus 2 equation equaled 5. Didn't work. There's no balance in heaven that weighs good deeds and bad deeds. You sin one sin in your life, and you'll sin them all. You sin once, you've blown it. In fact, you're born into sin. I'm born into sin. Your righteousness is going to get you nowhere. Only God can get you somewhere. And so God sends Jesus, who is the one who lives perfectly with perfect righteousness, who lives and dies that way, and ends up being the only one who could perfectly work his way back into heaven because he did no unrighteousness. So Jesus is saying here, look, the Holy Spirit from now on is going to be the one who proves the wrongness of people thinking they can win their way into heaven by their righteous deeds. They can't do it. Guilty of false righteousness. You're not going to make it. You will not get there. But there is one who did. He went back to be with his father. He ascended. Of course, in our passage, this is yet to happen. But a little later, we know it did happen. So the Holy Spirit is about the business of letting the world know that their righteousness is not going to cut it. And you want to know something? As much as this is talking about the world, 
This is the one right here in the middle, the second one. This is one of the things that believers, us, hold on to the most from when we were in the world. We think like this yet a lot of times. If I do this, well, God will smile on me and let me into heaven. If I'm really, really good, the last few years of my life and do righteous things for God, he'll let me in. And God says, no, I won't. I won't. Not for that. Remember, it's Jesus who was totally righteous. You believe in him and you will follow him in. He'll pull you in, in fact. That's how sure his righteousness is. Beloved, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Convicting, proving the world wrong in regard to false righteousness to bring in a harvest of souls. Now listen, there's a reason we are told this by Jesus. It's because the Holy Spirit is relying on you and me to hop over the fence and tell it to our neighbor who doesn't believe. And this one ought to be easy for us. Because we still sort of mess this one up ourselves. Third, last one. Jesus tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit will convict the world, prove the world wrong in regard to judgment. Because the prince of this world, he goes on, that's Satan, folks, he stands condemned. Jesus is telling us that the wrong one was crucified, really. Now, of course, we needed Jesus to be crucified, of course. But the judgment that put him on the cross was all wrong. He was unjustly accused. The judgment that crucified him was a false judgment. Humankind, a human government, sentenced him to death, and the world got the wrong guy. The real and true and perfect judgment was made by Christ, and his judgment says that the prince of this world is really the guilty one. He's the one who stands condemned. He is the one who's crushed at the cross. He's the one who is sentenced to eternal hell and fire and damnation. The devil. The Holy Spirit convicts the world, proves the world wrong, by telling it that the judgment made against Christ was the false one. And that the real one, the one that carries the weight and authority of God behind it, is that Satan, the devil, is condemned to eternal hell. The devil, the father of lies, deceives the world into following his values, his pride, his disobedience. And the Holy Spirit proves the world wrong in regard to the judgment. It messed up. We messed up. Humankind messed up at the crucifixion at Calvary. We listened to the father of lies... And we got the judgment wrong. We put a perfect human being to death. And of course, that's what becomes our salvation when we believe in that Savior. But for the world, they are guilty and they will share in the awful damnation of the prince of this world, the devil. Unless their hearts are convicted, unless they are proved wrong by the Spirit of God to see the truth of Christ's final judgment, to see the truth of Satan condemned at the cross, to see the truth that Satan has nothing to offer and Christ has everything to offer. Beloved, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. 
convicting, proving the world wrong in regard to judgment to bring in a harvest of souls. Now listen, there's a reason we are told this by Jesus. The Holy Spirit is relying on you and me to hop over the fence and tell it to our neighbor who doesn't believe. This is our Holy Spirit, dear church. Busy at work, hard at work, convicting the world, proving the world wrong. Something we once were, the world, and wrong, but are no longer. But God's heart still yearns. It weeps for and breaks for the world. And he does something about it. God puts the Holy Spirit to work to win the world like he won you and me. It's time we all hopped over the fence, had a conversation or two, don't you think? But don't worry, don't fear, don't fret, for you've got the Holy Spirit, the advocate, the counselor, the convictor going on ahead of you, and he speaks through you, and he lives in you. What could possibly go wrong, even if you think you would totally mess it up? Or when you do it, think you definitely did mess it up in that conversation about Jesus. Why don't we let the Holy Spirit decide that? Let it be his call. He's the greatest missionary there is. And there's no way he's going to get mad at us for opening our mouths even if we're terrible at it. He's in your heart. He's there to stay. Of that you can be sure. So think about it, whose yard or cubicle or coffee time, what neighbor's life, friend's life, co-worker's life are you going to enter this week or next week? The Holy Spirit is waiting and relying on you and on me. And if you choose a neighbor, if you strike up a conversation that you've been thinking about having, and you finally have it, without a doubt, whatever happens, whether it's the best or the worst rendition of reaching out with the gospel that the world has ever witnessed, without a doubt, one thing is sure. Before you said hello to that neighbor, the Holy Spirit was already hard at work. Because that's how God operates and wins the world. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, it still terrifies us. We're all being real honest here. We still fear and fret and worry about what we would say. We even hear you say things like we will be given the words to say and still we worry. We're told that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And the Holy Spirit will use whatever we say. And we're still nervous, scared, afraid. Let this be a day where you drive out a good deal of that fear. We pray for that. We pray that we will be sick and tired of being afraid. But we know you need to drive out the fear. But we also know 
we need to be the mouthpiece. We know that the Holy Spirit will prepare hearts. So give us that will, that desire, that courage to hop over the fence and tell a neighbor about Jesus. And then we'll let the Spirit do what the Spirit is perfect at. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.